All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Uncore Corner podcast. Uh, we are here with two special guests today, Grant and Heavey from the Strength and Scotch podcast. We're going to do some whiskey talk, and we're also going to get into some barbecue talk, something that you know I've been waiting on for a very long time after you heard my excitement around Thanksgiving, if you're listening then. So without further ado, Grant, Heavey, let's have you guys both introduce yourselves and give us your personal backgrounds and then tell us a little bit about the podcast. Brandon, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. So um, you referred to me as Heavey. That's my last name. That's uh, what I make Grant call me on the podcast. I, uh, if I'm going to give you the quick spiel on my background, uh, super nerdy kid growing up, went and studied engineering and uh, eventually went off and, and worked at NASA. And, um, you know, recently the, the Perseverance rover landed on Mars. I didn't work on that, but I worked on the one that came before it, Curiosity rover, along with some, some other stuff. Um, that was the early part of my career. But while I was there, I started uh, doing CrossFit and uh, got really excited about fitness. And so my wife and I, one thing led to another, we opened a CrossFit gym, did that for a few years, and then spun that out to do uh, online remote coaching. We were maybe seven years ahead of our time, but now it's really become accepted in, in these COVID times. And um, that's where I am now. I uh, do that and uh, hop on uh, the Strength and Scotch podcast that Grant and I started together seven years ago or so, maybe. And um, that's it. Hmm. Yeah, Brandon, I just want to let you know, you said when you were younger, you were really nerdy. That hasn't changed. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm Grant. Uh, I am doing the strength and scotch thing with Brandon since the start, but really it's, it's his idea. You know, he came to me um, as he was, you know, one of the other things he'll, he'll undersell himself. He is an entrepreneur. He's got so many companies. He's always got these great ideas and building building businesses. And he had this idea for a podcast and it was quite early days. If you think back to like seven years ago, you know, I mean, I think it was even maybe before the first serial and it was just kind of the idea that um, it was another way for him to get some of this information out. And he was always reading these things. He liked talking about it and he just wanted somebody to maybe play off of a bit. And he and I had become friends through the gym. And I said, sure, but dude, it doesn't sound like I'm bringing anything to the table, right? Like I, I just worked out there um, and I was not anything special in the gym. You know, I uh, was probably maybe a little above average for the people that were at the gym, but nothing, you know, exceptional or any reason for me to be telling people about strength and conditioning. Uh, and I said, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And he's like, well, first of all, you're trying to talk to you. And second of all, why don't we make it interesting and, and do something with like booze? It'll be like drunk history talking about fitness. And I was like, well, I can, I can do booze. Um, that's said, right. You were my exceptional, not my exceptional fitness friend, but my exceptional drinking buddy. Yeah. Uh, and so he came up with the idea of strength and scotch and I was like, Oh, scotch, it's delicious. I don't know much. And he's like, well, here's a good excuse to learn. So that kind of started a journey of, uh, learning about scotch, um, and getting to share some of my favorites and the things I learned with the podcast audience that, maybe started to listen to us because they had a general interest in health, fitness, well-being, all that stuff, and stuck around maybe a little bit because Brandon and I have fun and don't take it too seriously and aren't kind of like a bunch of the other podcasts that maybe tend to be a bit more aggro or meat heady or I don't know, a little serious maybe. Um, and 
over the years, you know, Brendan and I just continue to grow closer and we've got a lot of, of uh, similar likes. Like, you know, we didn't even know when we met. When we were 16, we had the same car uh, and we grew up in two different parts of the country and we like the same movies and all that kind of stuff. And so it does turn out we both are really into uh, sm barbecuing, smoking. Uh, I was going to say smoking, but it sounds like that's terrible for health and fitness <laughs> podcast. Um, we say no to smoking cigarettes, yay to smoking brisket. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's our story. I like how my story or your story was pretty much about me. Brandon, I, we know this. It's all about you. <laughs> and one of my favorite things about your podcast is you do every episode, you do pick a different topic and really dive deep in it. And it's not just uh, one of my, the best things is that it's not something that's getting fed to you out of some article that you're right online. Someone's just regurgitating. You guys do your time, you do the research. And uh, I know you have that sort of dynamic where, TV comes in with all the research grant you kind of play off that and uh, ask the questions that everyone's thinking it you know if we were there we'd all be sitting there waiting to ask that same question that you're about to ask anyway to really get down to the bottom of it so that's a great thing and I love that you guys are really listener driven as well instead of just you know, advertising and taking whatever uh, people throw at you so kudos to you guys for that but Appreciate that for sure. You know, the, the science thing was sort of a, an interesting dynamic that I think has become a lot more popular in fitness podcasts and content today. Um, and the trick was trying to weave science and, and me reading research papers together with something that would be enjoyable and digestible by the masses. And, and you're exactly right. Grant comes in and asks the questions that don't even occur to me that people are curious about because my head is just, you know, in a different place than, than his. And you might not want to ask him where his head's been. <laughs> My favorite thing, though, you, you're like, we don't just bring in news articles. We, we don't, but I love when, you know, CNN says, eating meat will kill you because I just know that Brandon's going to get inundated with emails and be all hot and bothered about it. So those are my favorites. Yeah, every time one of those articles is posted, I, I die a little bit inside. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I have been waiting in this for a long time, as we talked about before we started the podcast. I think we need to get into tasting this whiskey, right? sounds like time to me. Heavy, I know you said this is one of your favorite bottles, right? So if you guys want to tell us about it before we try it, I have not tried it yet. Bianca cheated. She tried a little bit before the podcast, but. <laughs> <I> had to. <laughs> well, well, maybe we should have Bianca tell us about it. What do you think? <laughs> I'm really bad at deciphering flavors in whiskeys or scotch. It's not my strong suit yet. I think I'm still learning about it as a whole. And I don't think I've had quite enough tasting experience as I might be able to with a beer or wine, but did, did you uh, like it or did you hate it? Wasn't a big fan, not a big fan. <laughs> it's a little strong for me, but you know, I'm going to drink it anyway. Did we share what <laughs> bottle we're actually drinking here? Oh, good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're having, um, Ardbeg is the distiller and the bottling is Ugadol, And, uh, that's a crazy weird name. Um, spelled like you might when you see it you'll recognize it right and it's a pretty commonly available bottle of scotch it's a single malt scotch from isla and i think grant probably can do a little bit better job than me but you're right this is one of my favorite bottles and probably a two or a year or two into doing the podcast i had declared it as my top bottle since then i've had some very very special whiskeys so um it's hard to to kind of, you know, weave this into that, I'd say still like uh, out of the everyday whiskeys, this is um, 
this is still my top. And I think the reason that we came to it is we found some chart from Reddit that plotted out like the, the most peated, it was on some sort of axis of peated and something else, uh, scotches. And, and Ugadol was pretty much one of the most peated ones there were. So we we're like, let's, let's give it a shot. And um, it, it's, um, it's, it's very nice, but it doesn't like overpower you when you, when you uh, take the nose. Well, here's the thing. If you're new to drinking scotch, any heavily peated malt from Isla is going to be overpowering. Even if it doesn't um, have an exceptionally high ABV, this is still fairly high. It's like 54.6, which is pretty hot. Um, and it's really, really peated. So Brandon, you know, as well as I do, the first time even we drank something from Isla, we were like, oh, this is gross. You know, like, how do people like this? And as Brandon mentioned, it's, it's now one of our favorites. And there's a few like technical reasons behind that. And it's not just, oh, you know, you know, when you're a kid, broccoli tastes gross until you, you get older. It's not like that. It's not just your, your opinion changes. There's actually um, kind of accommodations happening in your mouth because of how high the alcohol content is. Your taste buds react differently almost like when you can get um, used to eating spicy food. And um, Bianca, you mentioned how it's still tough for you to really pick out notes in whiskey compared to beer and wine. And I think that that's probably a big reason, especially if you have that same sort of feeling with other spirits like gin or um, tequila or vodka. Or, I mean, vodka shouldn't have any flavor, but you know what I mean? <laughs> All the others. Um, it's because even your nose is just getting this burn and this alcohol and it's hard to see what's underneath. But now when, you know, I felt that way when I started too, and now I smell and I'm like, Oh, it's a, it's a kind of smells like barbecue. And then on the note, um, when, as soon as I sip it, I say, gosh, there's like some raisins in there and it's sweet. And uh, I think that I was excited about Nick picking this bottle when I'd kind of given him a list of options, not just because Brandon um, it's his favorite and I love it, but there's a lot of, really interesting things in this bottle that we can get into if you want to. Um, the fact that it's from Isla means something special. The fact that it's single malt means something special. The fact that there's not a number on it, like a 10 or a 12, you know, you're used to seeing that. What does that mean? Um, and the other thing that is worth talking about real quick before I get we get Nick's opinion is the flavor, right? It's got that sweetness that isn't all in all of the other Islas. And that's because it isn't aged just in ex bourbon casks. Like most whiskeys, it's aged with a lot of sherry cask too. And that gives it a different kind of fuller, sweeter flavor. Uh, so I think that there's just a lot that we could get into depending on how deep you wanted to, but Ugadol's a pretty great bottle. Nick, what do you, what's your opinion on it now that you've tried it finally after like three months of sitting there? It's delicious. <laughs> and like uh, you mentioned there, barbecue, that's the first thing I get. Uh, I do love scotch. The one that I've been drinking and that I would declare my favorite bottle so far is the Glenlivet 12 Double Oak. Um, it's been delicious. I've been powering that thing down. I love it. Um, and I don't haven't really dived too deep into the Isla whiskeys. I've had some other slightly peated whiskeys. I, you know, when I was first getting into it, I go, oh, think Scotch, think Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker Black. Uh, and that was kind of my only real exposure to that. Um, and then the only other thing that I'd ever had that had a lot of a, almost smoke characteristic to was a uh, Mezcal. So that was kind of my two perspectives on that. So this is kind of hitting it with a completely different 
uh, like you said, flavor profile. And I don't know, it could be because I've been <laughs> drinking this stuff a lot longer now. Uh, so it, I am used to it. I've had uh, a chance to try a lot more different whiskeys, bourbons, rice, everything. So getting into this, I think I can appreciate that smoke a lot more. Um, when it first hits your, your tongue, what do you, what do you get? This is the virginal Oogadol tasting. I need to hear this all over again. It's like <laughs> being jealous of someone who gets to watch your favorite movie for the first time. Exactly. Right? <laughs> well, it definitely tastes, I feel like it's a smoky or something. It's like the way that it like coats your mouth is very different. It almost like has that, I don't know. It's like a smoky like flavor after you sip it. I think that right. that's what I got the most. Yep. And that's it. So it hits your tongue. And the first thing I'm getting there is not much. It's definitely smoke. And then as it goes down, it's sweetness. It really is. Um, it's mellow. It's sweet. Uh, it doesn't really burn or anything too bad. And then after you swallow it, I'm getting a lot more of that smoke. And then a tingle on the tongue. It's almost like there's a little fire going on in my tongue there. Uh, and then your breath afterwards just tastes like straight up chimney. <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, it's definitely, definitely delicious. Yeah, I think it's promising, Bianca, that you you had a taste that came through and you didn't just taste the alcohol. Because I think that um, when we first get started with these kind of whiskeys and, and tasting them, it, it's usually the alcohol burn, that's all that you feel and you can't get deeper than that. But once you start to peel back layers, then you'll go one step further. And that's what you, sounds like what you got in your tasting here. So I, I think that there's hope for you yet. <laughs> well, we have been doing quite a few whiskey tastings, so maybe um, I've crossed the bridge. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I keep you know, bringing stuff down to Bianca, too. I brought her down some samples at Napoke Castle that we were talking about earlier. Uh, so hopefully she's gotten to try some of that as well. And I told her the way that I got into whiskey, I knew there had to be something deeper than ever, that everyone was talking about when I was 21, 22, and just really starting to explore getting out of the, you know, the college days and just drinking, you know, basic, you know, domestic beers and stuff and trying to get into expanding my palate. I was like, well, whiskey seems like something I'd like based on other foods, other things that I like that, you know, I always hear that caramel characteristic, the sweet, the oak. Um, one of my favorite of like domestic beers is Yingling, for example, because I always liked that it had sort of almost an oaky taste to it. That's something that I always picked up on it. So I was like, ah, I, I must like whiskey. But whenever I tried to drink it, I would always get that burn, that heat, and I couldn't get over it. So what I started to do was just every night, just take a little sip, just let it sit on my tongue, get past the burn. And eventually after, you know, a few weeks or whatever, that was gone. And I started picking up more of the different flavor notes. And the first one that I remember really doing this with, there was two, I picked up two bottles of bourbon and a rye, riverboat rye and wild turkey 101. And uh, though the Riverboat Rye is still one of the fondest rides that I have, although it's not very highly rated, but because it was the first one that I really started to enjoy. And to this day, rye whiskey is one of my favorite, probably because of it, because that's my standard. Um, and the Wild Turkey, I remember pulling the first time I was pulling those fruit notes out of it, pulling like almost like an apple and pulling uh, different sweetness out of it. And I wasn't getting that burn. And then it started to hit me. And every time I got a bottle, for you know, a couple of years, it's always a different bottle. I was never going back to the same one so I could try different things. And uh, I've told Bianca to do the same thing to try to get past that burn. Um, just every night, take a little sip. And I know she loves gin and she likes some other 
car liquors and she's definitely more of a cocktail girl than wine uh but you just have to get past that once you get your body trained to really accept that flavor that heat uh i think it opens up a whole new world when it comes to things to drink that's one of the things that i really like about the ugadol is that it does have a very uh strong peat flavor but there are other notes to it you'll find that some pd scotches are just all about peat and like that's kind of where they hang their hat on but because ugadol has um I don't know if they, they age it. Do they age it in stages? Granted, is it all sherry, X sherry casks or? It's not what? all X sherry. There's X bourbon and X sherry. Okay. Which adds the, some of that mellowness and that sweetness that you're, you're getting to it. Um, but a lot of the sherry scotches are overly sweet for me. So this, this one just walks that perfect line for me, which has got strong peat notes, but then also has um, like a mellowness and a long finish that makes it a perfect, perfect scotch. I also like the combination of the, the sweet and the smoke, kind of like barbecue, you know, when you're putting barbecue sauce on ribs or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wanted to come back kind of and, and, and hit one more point on this trying to taste uh, the whiskey. And this goes for everyone who is tasting whiskey, whether they are experienced or new to it, which is adding a little bit of water is not a bad thing. Um, I personally would never add ice cubes to a nice scotch. Um, ice will actually change the flavor quite a bit, um, but water doesn't. Uh, water will sometimes open up the flavors. Uh, it does a few things. One, it can open up the flavors so you smell more, you taste more. Two, it'll reduce that ABV. Like we talked earlier, you know, this is whatever, call it 55%, 55% alcohol in the bottle, right? Well, if you look at uh, the store, most of them are at 40%. So what's the difference? Did they age this longer? Did they boil it higher? You know, how, what's, what's the deal? Well, the fact is that most whiskeys are going to be aging between 55 and 60 something percent alcohol. So when you see them in the stores and, you know, the other part, if you think about it, you're like, why are they all 40% exactly? Um, well, that's because it's a legal requirement to be that much. So they take the stuff out of the barrel and add water to it to get it to the ABV they want. And they can do that because water is pretty neutral. Uh, it helps sometimes add to the flavor or open the flavor. And a lot of bottlings, even by Ardbeg, they'll do something where they'll have a special limited release for their committee members, which is like their fan club. And it'll be at cask strength. And then they'll have a public release with much more bottles available. And the committee one will be, call it 58%. And then the general release will be like 44%. And the only difference is that they added their water to it. And I think that that's another good way um, both for people who are getting accustomed to the high alcohol content in spirits, as well as to people who have developed a palate to try and see if they can pick out other flavors in there. Because sometimes you'll be like, mm, I got, you know, uh, tar and tobacco. And then you add some water and like, oh, wait, there's some banana under there, you know, and that, that kind of thing can happen, which is, is fun to see those layers of flavor that you didn't even know were there. So I would say, you know, and also in Scotland, if you go to a bar, like any bar and you go order a, a single malt, they'll be like, would you like some water? And, and they say it though with a better Scottish accent. And <laughs> yeah, that was awful. <laughs> it wasn't even an attempt for him. Uh, and you, like know, you, you wanted to, and then you I wanted off. to. <laughs> I've been watching Outlander with my wife and, and I just think their <laughs> accents are so cool. And the way she looks at that main guy just makes me feel so bad about myself. <laughs> The other thing that might be relevant here too is that we've mentioned Isla a handful of times. And um, if you do or you don't like the peatiness, you want to be aware of 
that region. So Isla is a region in Scotland. It's a special region in that it's one island and it's the super small region. Most of the other regions are massive. In fact, there's another region called Islands, which is all the rest of the islands. But because Isla is so special, it's its own region. And it is best known for the peated scotch. So not everything that comes from Isla is going to be peated and not every peated whiskey is going to come from Isla. But rest assured that if you do like peated whiskeys, you should be focusing your attention um, with what you purchase from Isla. And if you don't, then you're probably going to mostly want to steer clear. Yeah, the exception to the rule on Isla is unpeated, where the rest of Scotland's the inverse. But, you know, you bring up a really good point to talk with Nick and Bianca about, Brandon, because that you guys have a, a big wine background, right? And the ideas um, that kind of go along with Scotch whiskey in particular, you know, you can kind of talk about Scotch whiskey much differently than the big picture of whiskey, which includes bourbons and rye and Irish and all the other stuff. Scotch whiskey is so much like wine in that you've got these little regions and areas. And it's like the difference of talking about a Bordeaux versus a Burgundy or things like that. And it's really um, not just as, as you guys know, with wine, it's not just lines on a map. It really is an approach and a flavor profile and a philosophy um, about what it should be about what makes it good. And um, it's tough to go back in history and say, which came first, the flavor or the idea, but they embrace it and they cherish it. Yeah, I think with with spirits, uh, just like, like you said, with wine, I think a lot of it is not only the flavor profiles you get from different places, but also the, you know, the history and the background behind those spirits that you're getting. So they all have a story. And I think that's what Nick and I find the most interesting. And that's what we really focus on, on our, on our podcast, because it's so interesting to learn from different people. You know, you get such unique flavors, you get great tasting notes, but you also get, you know, the person behind that and, and what their experience has been like, and it's different all over the world. So it's definitely a, a big, a big aspect of it. In, in that regard, do you want to know why it tastes like a campfire? All right. So uh, peat is the word we keep saying, P-E-A-T, peat. Um, and peat is a fuel source for a lot of, or it used to be a fuel source for a lot of the world where they cook and heat their houses and do all the other stuff uh, that you need heat for in wood. And in places where there aren't a whole lot of big trees to cut down, uh, peat was a fossilized marshy, you know, basically all the plants decay and then come together and pressure builds up and it becomes this hard stuff that you can cut out of the ground. And, and it's got a very unique smell to it, right? Well, in the process of making malted whiskey, you have to soak it in water and let it germinate to make the sugars come out easier. But then you have to stop it. And to stop it, you add heat. And back when your fuel source was peat that you cut out of the ground, to make that heat, you'd use peat. And the side effect of doing that is this flavor that we're tasting, this peaty, smoky. To us, we think of campfire, even though it's a little different than, you know, that kind of wood's got a unique smell to it. But that element is imparted into the spirit. Now, with modern production methods, you know, you taste uh, vodka or whatever, it doesn't taste like smoke. They're not using wood and fire to heat things like that anymore. We've got a whole lot of options, whether it's natural gas or electric or whatever to create heat. And also you only have to stop things like malting, right? If you're, never mind, that's a whole nother conversation. But anyway, they don't need to do that as attested by all of the other whiskeys, the Glenlivets and, and everything else that doesn't have peat. They're using other methods of stopping that. They don't change the process. They just change the method of heating. But 
the history there of using that peat and having that um, flavor is maintained by the companies that do peated bottlings and spirits. So for you guys, and, and you're always trying different things. And obviously I think you talk a lot about, well, you talk about a lot of stuff on, on your podcast, but how do you feel the smoky flavor of a scotch or a whiskey complements that smoky flavor of food when you're making it? Do you feel that it can be too much together or do you often feel that they're more complimentary than not? Well, my personal take, I think whiskey, another thing that I really like about whiskey and, and I think it's similar to wine is pairings, right? I think pairings are a lot of fun with whiskey. For me personally, and just, I think the same as wine, um, it's kind of personal taste and opinion. I wouldn't normally pair a smoky scotch with a smoky barbecue. Now, I, you know, I was joking with Nick earlier while we were, you know, I was like, oh, we should call the episode Smoke and Smoke with Stringing Scots, right? Because it's like, we're talking about smoking meats and smoky drinks. But the truth is to me, the flavors don't go well together. And one of the reasons why I like this bottle and when I think of pairings with smoky uh, scotches, it's often the sweetness that I think goes really well with the smoke. And I think that kind of is mirrored, as we said earlier, you know, with barbecue, a lot of people like those sweeter, you know, Brandon's from Kansas. He can talk about sweet sauces all day, right? Um, sweeter sauces with smoky meats. There's something about that yin and yang of sweet and smoky um, that goes really well. And the heat of whiskey that's kind of got that spiciness, you know, I, I really like it. Um, so I would usually have a smoky scotch with a dessert or after dinner. Um, you know, I, th I think... Isla whiskeys and chocolate. It's like, ugh, so fucking good. <laughs> but when I'm having something that's smoky or really rich on the side, I would have a lighter whiskey, something that's a little more just bourbon, less sherried, less smoky. You know, um, I think that that allows the food to really do what it needs to do because this whiskey is so strong. It can overpower that or make kind of uneven, unbalanced uh, pairings. I like to pair my scotches with my vibe. You know, the uh, Oogadol is the perfect cold winter night fire burning in the fireplace vibe. Like you can almost do no better than that. And then on the other hand, you know, having a bourbon or an Irish whiskey with some, maybe a little bit of ice, even though, you know, faux pas, depending on what you have, whatever. Um, you know, that's a perfect like summer day part, you know, on the deck with party kind of vibe. So um, I actually haven't experimented too much with whiskey and food because I feel like, I don't know, it's so, it, it dominates a lot. And I think that's maybe just like a new area I haven't uh, explored that maybe is something worth doing. I just also don't drink hard liquor with my, my meals. Maybe that's something that I need to start doing more of. And, and you don't really have much in the way of desserts because the whole healthy living thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, yeah, I think Brandon, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it doesn't, the pairings aren't always um, food. It's also experience. And that's where I think whiskey really does well. And because it is a high alcohol, you know, we could split a, a bottle of wine over dinner with two people, right? Well, that's 750 milliliters of fluid that we're drinking as we have our meal. If we finish a bottle of whiskey between the two of us, we're going to be pretty messed up and uh, maybe not enjoying our meal so much the second time we taste it that night. I think we did that during our first episode of Strength and Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it happens. Yep. And I'm more along the lines of you, Brandon, where you're pairing it with the vibe. It's I'm not a big dessert guy either. I'd rather have a second helping at dinner. 
So with my food, I'm usually going with a beer uh, mm. or something like that and then saving the liquor for later. Uh, and the whiskey tends to be my dessert. So yeah, that's exactly eating, it. Yeah, instead of eating chocolate, eating caramel and all that vanilla, I will, you know, if I'm feeling something sweeter, I'll go with a rye, something like that. Uh, and then sometimes I want to get into fruity and I'm probably going with a, like a, the Glenlivet, for example, is perfect where you're not getting that peat. It's just a really smooth, almost fruity uh, scotch that's, I find, more similar to uh, the flavor profile of like a wine or something. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. I don't really pair my whiskey too much with food either. But while we're here talking about food, we wanted to bring you guys to talk on talk you guys about barbecue um so let's just kind of get going i know we sort of actually started this conversation in the strength and scotch plus discord the other day um where would you guys recommend uh someone go to start barbecue so i want to talk smokers i want to talk uh cooking methods so whether it's wood pellet uh electric um and see your initial thoughts if someone comes up to you and says i want to start eating barbecue what do i do Give me your initial broad strokes recommendation. That's a, it's a really tough question because I can remember when I was, um, I, I traveled to Australia like uh, 15 years ago. And when I was there, one of the guys gave me a hard time. And he's like, you Americans talk about your barbecue. Um, we have that too. It's just throwing stuff out on the grill. So to call something barbecue, um, it, it has like a, a uniqueness to it, depending on where you are in the world or even where you are in the country. And I think that in that sense, it parallels scotch really well because there are different traditions, especially uh, within the US, but you know, broadly speaking as well, that shape the food that is barbecued, the cook method, and uh, even like the wood that's used and all those elements which is produced today, what we just recognize is, oh, that's weird. In Carolina, they eat pork. And in Kansas City, they use, you know, tomato sauce or whatever. But all of that's based on this tradition that formulated the reason, the same reason that they use peat to fire Ugadol, you know? Yeah. So when somebody's going to get started with barbecue, first we have to say, what do you mean by barbecue? Fair. And I think uh, another it depends answer. From <laughs> <me>. <laughs> I mean, Nick, what is your when you first started? Because Nick's more I don't really do much of the cooking. But when you first started, Nick, what was your personal method? Did you have one that you followed or were you kind of trying out a whole bunch of different things? So it was during that college period where I was working at Lowe's. So what really happened is I got a good deal on a duo half propane, half charcoal grill. And I added the side smoker box to it. And that's what I always thought. Whenever I thought barbecue, I thought big smoker, side firebox. And that's, I've, all right, let's start. And I started, the first one actually surprisingly didn't go that bad. I got uh, two brisket flats from Whole Foods because it was the only place that I could find anything at. I hadn't hit any local butcher shops yet. I was just getting started. And I just went low and I went slow and I tried not to, overdo it and make it too smoky or anything i read i'm big into researching things before i jump right in so i probably read 15 different articles on how to control the smoke and everything i'm like ah, well let's just try it and see how it turns out um and that's how i got started and that's probably why i'm really hooked on that wood offset smoker uh method so is that what you still use is a offset stick burner that 
is what I tend to lean to. I had a bad run in with the Oklahoma Joe last uh, summer where I got one because we wanted one up at my girlfriend's kind of vacation house so that while we're up there, I can make big foods for everyone to eat. And I went, I got that one and I used it three times and the whole thing rusted away on me. I kept it covered when it wasn't in use. I used it three times and luckily I noticed it two days before the uh, warranty, the return period expired and got rid of it. So I have to start over this year. And that's why before we get out of here too, I want to hear your recommendation. Uh, one thing that I wanted to get into was the difference between the smoke taste and the smoke quality in the food compared to the wood and uh, pellet, for example. Um, and that's going to be, the pellet is obviously significantly easier and less time consuming. You don't have to sit there feeding the fire. Uh, whenever you have to regulate temperature, I always felt like it was a half hour battle of getting it to not be too hot, not be too cold, uh, not get too much of that gray, bad, thick smoke in there. So the pellet seems like the better option, especially when you're talking like a vacation house type of vibe where I want to be with other people, you know, as a family gathering place, everyone's talking, everyone's having a good time. And if I'm out in the front yard by myself smoking food for 13 hours if I'm trying to do a brisket or something that's not really uh what you want to be doing but at the same time if the food's not going to be as high, good as if I was doing that I would rather make that sacrifice right so you know rather than getting into all of the different nuances because I think there's a lot of ways we can look at barbecue you know I mean how many people got into Korean barbecue and that's something completely different right but there's grilling and there's what we're going to call barbecue for the sake of this discussion, right? And grilling is you put your chicken on, you put your, your burgers on, you're going to grill up some brats, that kind of stuff. Um, we're not talking about that, right? We're talking about smoking meats. We're talking about lower temperatures, generally speaking, something between 180 degrees up to maybe, you know, 300 degrees, call it like that. And a lot of the things you're cooking will take many hours, you know, five hours, maybe 15 hours. And the foods what the primary foods we're talking is like ribs, pulled pork, brisket, um, smoked pastrami, which is brisket that's been cured, um, things like that. And then a lot of fun stuff like smoked mac and cheese and whatever. Right. But you've alluded to, and Brandon's alluded to the main types of smokers. And there's three that most people are going to be choosing between the first is the one Nick that you got first, which is a offset. We call them stick burners, which is, it's literally a container that's kind of like a little mini fireplace that you put logs in, you light it, and there's vents that you can control the smoke and the heat to go into a bigger container, and that's where you're doing your cooking, right? It's like um, a grill on the side of a grill. That's right. Yeah. And then that one is going to take the most amount of work, the most amount of time, and the most amount of experience to get right. We can get into all the reasons why, um, but the the upside is you get the most smoke flavor because all of the heat that's being generated there is coming from your burning wood right and that's that's a good thing however it really matters a lot then on which wood you're getting making sure it's really dry where you're getting your wood from all that stuff it becomes i think i mentioned uh somebody else it's like if you really want to make this your hobby and devote a lot of time that's that's probably uh, a great way to do it, but it's going to be a lot of work. 
Right. Uh, if you're smoking a brisket, just for context, like if, if this is something you want to pursue, it has to be a, uh, you're willing to give your, your weekend to it essentially, because you are going to be sitting at this thing for probably 15 hours straight, like where you could go run the bathroom, you know, refresh your beer or whatever, but your ass is going to be sitting right in front of that. Oh, I didn't know language. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, that you have to manage the fire the entire time. It, it, it is a lot of work and you can get great reward for it but uh, you can also fail massively <laughs> with it. It's like no guardrails. It's bowling with the, the lanes open, you know? And then we're going to talk about pellet smokers in a moment. And that's kind of like putting the rails on the, the bowling alley. It's bumper bowling, but you're always going to get a, a pretty good outcome. Um, and it's a lot less work. So yeah, would you I, then I, consider the electric smoker like bowling on the Wii? That's as easy <laughs> yeah. as it gets. So if, if, if the stick burners are on one end, electric smokers on the far other end, it's the easiest, but the least rewarding in my opinion. And I can say that having owned an electric smoker was my first smoker. Um, and I thought at the time, wow, this is tremendous. Why would I ever want to do anything else? It's so easy. You know, you set the temperature, you put some wood chips in and boom. Um, they also tend to be the least expensive. You know, they're the least complicated. It's basically a small electric oven with a little chamber for wood chips. I mean, it's nothing more than that. Um, and you can get fine tasting food. In fact, the reason I bought that was a demo that I was like this. I was working a trade show and a couple booths down was the people that were selling these electric smokers and every day they would bring out a new brisket that they smoked overnight for the next round of trade show people and i snuck over there like once an hour to get another bite that was on a toothpick and i just kept thinking my god this is so good and i thought if it was this good coming out of there you know what else could i want so i i bought one of theirs it was trade show special so i didn't feel too bad and got it home and used it for years and i thought this is terrific but when it died um I did a little research and found out pellet smokers and pellet smokers are really that sweet middle spot. Yeah. The pellet smoker, you know, you, it is burning wood as the fuel source, unlike the electric, which is really just a oven that, you know, sometimes you see the uh, people will take the piece of wood and put it in a tray of water on their grill. That's kind of what's happening with the, the electric smoker for generating smoke. So it's like a accent form of heating the uh the, the meat and with this, the pellet smoker the smoke is the primary heat uh method if you will but they're so there's in there burning wood now there's there's some challenges with that like you mentioned will you get the same quality smoke and so some companies sell super cheap pellets that are made of like dust and not real wood and all these things that you have to be aware of that can affect your outcome. But it, it's like the having training wheels. And I, I think that it is the perfect thing if you don't want to babysit, but you want the best possible outcome um, for for smoking your meats. And, and I've had it, a uh, smoker, a uh, pellet smoker for I don't know, five years or so. Grant's had one for a little bit longer than me. And um, there's no going back. I do flirt with the idea of getting the stick burner just because I kind of like the romance of sitting out by the the, the smoker all night. You know, you're, you when you're doing a brisket, you're getting up at like two in the morning to, to start the thing. So you have to acknowledge, is that something that I'm, I'm interested in doing? But um, with the pellet smoker, you get up at two in the morning, you put the brisket out there, you hit go, and then you go back to bed and you wake up at eight and you see, oh, is it time to wrap or not yet? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of value in doing the pellet smoke. 
Now, there's not really a whole lot to know about um, column stick burners for now, you know, because you got the chamber and they go through and the better ones are going to have heavier gauge steel. They're going to be different sizes, bigger, right? And, and the, the decent ones are all going to have good airflow, right? Because that's what you want is good airflow because all that heat's coming from that chamber. When you get into pellet smokers, though, there does become a little more nuance and a little more research required and a much greater range of price points. You can go buy a fairly inexpensive one for 500 bucks that'll get the job done, or you could go spend 2,500 bucks. And you know that's a, a, a pretty big range. And it isn't just a brand name. You know, it's not just paying for the, uh, the Gucci symbol on the, on the bag, <laughs> for real. Um, one of the reasons why a lot of people used to not like pellet smokers is because it doesn't give always as much smoke. You know, Brandon said that the heat's all coming from burning pellets, which is true. It is, all of the heat is a result of these burning pellets. But to understand how it works might make a little bit of a difference because they burn the pellets and there's like a, an auger, which is like a big screw that pushes them into a burn pot. Well, when they burn, there's a big flame, it gets hot, and then they stop pushing the pellets through. So you get all the smoke and then the thing keeps the heat and there's a little thermostat that says, once you get to this temperature, you push more pellets in. So you, if you look at the temperature variation over time, you see these big peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys as it reaches that point to add more auger pellets down at the bottom and then it gets too hot so it stops. There have been a lot of um, it, products released that have something called a PID, which is a different type of thermocouple, which measures and can determine how long that variation is going to be. So Aaron Franklin is, is like the king of smokers, right? He does an entire brisket smoke with less than three degree variation, and he's managing the logs and everything like that. On my pellet smoker, I get like, I don't know, 60 degrees of variation, right? And I'm getting this big burst of smoke and then no smoke and burst of smoke. Well, these PID ones, they can keep that same three degree plus or minus variation. And so you're paying more for that. Um, you're paying more, like you mentioned, the rusting. You're paying more for materials, right? You want stainless steel so it doesn't rust? Well, that's going to cost you. The controller's a big deal. Now they've got, because this, the way they work is you set a temperature and then you walk away, right? Well, uh, bigger hoppers are more expensive, so they hold more pellets. You want Wi-Fi, so it tells your, your phone the temperature. That's another, that's another thing. So there's a lot of detail in it. And guess coming back to where you started this question, Nick, is where do I learn and talk and find out more? Um, a couple of the really best resources I've found are Reddit at the subreddits for smoking and pellet grills. Oh, we should talk about the fact that they call them grills, Brandon. <laughs> um, and um, the other one I really like is amazingribs.com. They don't just talk about um, ribs. It's all sorts of smoking. They do product reviews. It's a great site. I think they've got like a club you can join and it costs money, but you get access to the forums and a lot of other fans and stuff like that. Um, of course, come to Strength of Scotch, we'll talk to you. But, <laughs> you know, the, the one quick thing I do want to hit on is pellet grills. So one advantage to some of the brands of grills is you can actually use that smoker at a higher temp and grill foods. You're not going to do that with the offset. You're not going to do that with an electric, but a pellet grill and some of them will sell different burn pans so that it really directs the heat and you can get it as hot as, you know, six, 700 degrees. And then you can do your grilling on your smoker, all one device, burning wood. It's pretty cool. 
Well, in fairness too, some stick burners on the offset, they have a great, right? So you can use it as a grill, just putting that out there. I've Fair never, enough, see, point. here's the thing where I've only experimented with the cheap offset smokers and I've never had a real good one. I have to take that thing and then overhaul it. So I'll take a $150 cheap, cheap smoker. <laughs> I'll coat the whole thing with aluminum foil. I'll put in foil wrap <laughs> bricks in the bottom. I'll buy sheet metal, bend it to build like baffles through and like direct the smoke exactly where I want it to go. Uh, I have to take the grates that always come in those side smoker boxes melt away on the first use. So you always have to get some better expanded metal and then some metal to hold that up so that doesn't melt and <laughs> disappear Nick, either. Nick, have you read Aaron Franklin's book? I have not, no. Okay, so I think you should read it because he talks a lot about the way that he smokes meat and his philosophy, but he also devotes a significant portion of that book to building smokers. And I feel like the answer for you might be to just go buy an old propane tank and make your own smoker. Honestly, well, if I didn't have an apartment, I, I would do that. <laughs> He's now selling them too, right, Brandon? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really expensive option, but he does walk you through how to build them in his book. That it's is the book. equivalent of the Gucci bag. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. That is also definitely a project that Nick would Nick would do. I think Nick, you're one of the only people I know that you always do stuff like that. It's one hundred percent. They don't have it. I'm making it. Now I you know Brandon you. too. That's two. I can't tell you I haven't thought about it and mapped it out in my head what I would want to do. It's just not feasible for what I got right now. I don't think the landlord would appreciate that. Um, but that is definitely something that eventually I will get into and do my own death way instead of buying a cheap one and doing the best I can to make it good. I'm just going to make it good right from the yeah. start. I think that's really what it comes down to is like, how much money do you want to put into it? How much time do you want to put into it? And how long do you want the thing to last you? And if the answer is like, I just want good meat to have fun weekends with my family or my friends at a, you know, a weekend retreat that we have, then the answer all day is pellet smoker. Or if you need to save money, then electric smoker. If the answer is like, this is a craft that I want to form. Like I, I want to be the smoker. Then the answer is, you know, get a stick burner, learn how to do it, uh, then upgrade over time. But you know, if it, I think Grant and I both kind of approach it the same way right now, which is we like to, well, I like to look at it as food prep. So, you know, I will do it once uh, every couple of weeks. I usually hit the smoker and I make food for my wife and I for the week. Uh, you know, brisket will feed us for more than a week, the two of us. And uh, the Grant does it to entertain because he he enjoys doing that sort of thing. And and I think Brandon that, hates people. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we can talk over the internet, but we can't hang out. <laughs> And, and I think that you kind of have to play to your personality too, to pick the thing that you want, because this is a big investment for most people. Even if you buy a cheap one, $500 is no joke, right? So I think that you have to let all of those things, um, you have to consider them. And so just like my answer to everything, which everybody always teases me for, the answer is, you know, it depends, Nick. But it seems to me based on everything that I've heard from you here, like if you're trying to put one at your apartment right now, then you probably want to go with, uh, depending on budget, either an electric smoker, or if you got a little more money then a pellet smoker. And then eventually, like when you get out and get your own pad and you got some more space, then you're going to want to build one. Right. Exactly. And then I'll have my whole workshop and everything where I could really tinker around with all my different exactly. hobbies that I like to do. So exactly, <laughs> definitely yeah, that's something that's down the road. 
that's the goal. I mean, Brandon, you've talked about getting an offset, but you wouldn't get rid of your pellet, right? You'd have no. both. You'd be like, okay, this weekend's a special weekend. I'm going to do this thing and you're going to take a day to prep and then you're going to yeah. do it, but you'd still use the pellet. I flirted. So yeah, I flirted with the idea of having a, a stick burner, like a really nice one. You know, I looked at Franklin's ones. I think they're like three grand or something. Um, and you know, one day I wouldn't mind having that or building my own. I, I like the idea of that as well. But if I did that, I would never get rid of my pellet smoker. And if I had to choose between one or the other, I would never choose the stick burner because the convenience you can get a 90%, you can get 90% of the way there with this, with the pellet smoker. There's just, there's no reason. Yeah. I agree with Brandon wholeheartedly. And in, like he mentioned, you know, there are different quality pellets. The whole pellet technology started as home heating and they used totally neutral wood with the idea of being clean and not having a whole lot of smell and stuff. Well, that's way different than when if we're using, you know, hundred percent hickory or, you know, whatever competition mix you want, where you're adding all the smoke and flavor using a, the same technology, but different materials. I think you're going to get a lot of the end result, but if you enjoy the process, do it, man, more power to you. And I can envision, sadly, a future where I have all three once I have that. That's right. Because one thing that I do want to say is that I, when I had that offset smoker, my first one that I had for a few years, I also had a smaller electric one on the side. And then while you're doing the big smoke and you don't, you know, you that barbecue smells so good. You want to eat some of it, but can't eat that brisket. It's only been in there for six hours. Uh, so on the side, get some chicken wings going. You could get sides going. Uh, a favorite thing that I always like to do is like a scotch egg wait, or an armadillo egg, which would be like a jalapeno popper wrapped in the sausage and smoke those. Uh, and with those sides and with that, you know, extra electric one, and like you said, they are fairly cheap. So you could feasibly get an offset, a cheap one and a cheap electric smoker for the price of a mid-level to lower end pellet smoker. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for an electric smoker. I mean, one of them has to do with uh, regulations. Like a lot of restaurants will use electric smokers that are selling smoked meats because they're not allowed to have offset smokers or open fires or anything. So that that's one practical reason. But also, you know, um, I made sausage from scratch, and sometimes it gets too much sauce, too much smoke when you want just a hint of it. And I found my old electric one, it was really easy to just not put wood chips in there and it still got the low temp, but I got enough smoke just from being in that environment without adding more. Um, I, and, and, and the best reason in my mind, someone who doesn't know that they are going to enjoy the hobby, they don't know how often they're going to do it. They're like, oh, I'm not sure if my wife's going to like this or whatever. All right, get something cheap and keep it on the side if you want to keep it. Um, and well, to that point, Grant, I think that, that that's excellent to bring up. And if you remember, the first slab of ribs I ever brought you were from my old technique, which didn't use a smoker at all. This is how I used to, it's how I learned to do it in college, which was I would take ribs and I would put them out on my charcoal grill and I'd sear each side for a few minutes. I'd take them into a, like a glass baking dish, pour a like a quarter inch of Coca-Cola in the bottom of the baking dish, apply a dry rub to the ribs, cover them in foil and let them bake for a few hours at 225. And you're simulating smoking. I mean, it's not cooking from the smoke, but you get the the tenderness of it. And it gives you a taste of like what it's like to do this. And if you do that one time and you're like, 
this is this is pretty awesome. This is pretty special. Uh, I like the way this feels. I like to be the guy in the neighborhood that everybody's like, man, I want to go to his house for the barbecue. Then then you know that you're onto something and you're going to want to probably invest a little money into it. And like Nick, we I can't have a grill at all. We aren't allowed to have anything. So we've been living off a stove for almost three years and we're finally getting a house. So I'm taking all this into account because we are looking to get our first grill slash smoker. Uh, nice. One of the first purchases we'll make because we'll be moving it right in the spring and it's, I mean, what better time in New England to start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you... congratulations. I'm excited to see what you get. Yeah. Have you yeah. decided at all what you're getting? What are you leaning to? No, the uh, the fiance loves the Traegers, so he's probably mm. going to end up with one of those. But um, I think Can't we're looking at all different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what we've heard. So yeah. while we're there, that's actually something that I wanted to ask you guys about as well. Brand recommendations for people that uh, most people are probably only going to have a big box store near them. Uh, and if they do have some sort of fireplace grill specialty store, I know I've seen those around. The stuff that they have might be a little bit more than a beginner wants to lean towards if they only carry something that's really specialty or higher end. So what brands do you think that people will have widely accessible? Even you can order them online without, you know, going through Franklin or whatever and getting a $3,000 one, <laughs> uh, one of the bigger companies, maybe what, who do you trust uh, for those, I guess, beginner to mid-level smokers? Yeah, I think there's lots of brands available. If you go to the big box stores, you know, Walmart will have a couple, like I think they'll have the Oklahoma Joe. And then I think they have another brand of smoker, a pellet smoker. Char Griller is a big one. And okay. Pit Boss is another Pit one. Boss. That I've seen. That's the one I was thinking. So my brother got a Pit Boss because my brother is like the cheapest person I know. He, he wanted to, you know, buy the, the very minimum. And um, I've been over there and I've had his barbecue and, you know, it's his starter unit and I don't think he'll ever get a nicer one. And he had a couple issues when he first got going with it, like the controller died, but the company supported it and they sent him a new one and it produces great, great barbecue. And so I, I don't think that you can go wrong with that, but you should know that it's going to be made with cheaper materials. If, um, if you live in a cold climate, that that's going to be a little tougher because the, the thinner steel that they use on it is, is going to, you know, it's going to require more um, fuel and so forth. I personally bought a Traeger, which is like the, the, the old school player in the, the market. I think they maybe even invented the, the pellet smoker. And um, I will say that I've had zero problems with mine. I like it very much but I also follow them on Twitter and their feed is just like people um, reaching out for support and them just dropping the ball one time after the other. So I imagine if you have an issue that requires support, trigger might not be the best option, but they're definitely the big player. You're probably going to get the most value from them in a lot of ways. Um, and then Grant can speak to his, which he has a gorilla and he got, excellent support as i understand it from them yeah um you know i think brandon's right traeger is a huge name and with that comes the pros and the cons one is something that's been engineered a lot has a lot of history to it uh but you also don't maybe get a whole bunch of attention when something goes wrong because they got a whole bunch of customers right um the other thing about traeger is they have a very very wide range of products you can find traegers in walmarts and costcos um, and i bought mine off amazon right but yeah. you're, uh, they're, so they're going to be there, but they're also going to have some really high-end ones that can be up to over $2,000, right? With the, all the new features and stuff like that. So when you recommend that as a brand, it's tough to know what you're talking about. You kind of have to mm. look at the models. 
the thing that Brandon's uh, alluding to is my uh, smoker is made by a company called Grilla. And I really like them. I recommend them to people. They are sort of a no frills company. But for what you get, they are exceptionally well-made, which means higher gauge materials, um, really good controllers, bigger, heavier duty grates, things like that. But they're also located in the U.S. for all of their uh, support team. You know, a company the size of Traeger, I don't know if they're probably outsourcing support like a lot of companies do. You know, when I emailed them with something that ended up being a dumb problem on my fault, um, I got responses from their chief engineer and it was like within three or four hours. Um, it's, it's a incredible. really unique smoker too. Like it's yeah. not the offset style that most people are thinking of right now. It's a vertical style. Yeah. It's got a space saving design. If I was in an apartment or having something on a, on a balcony or whatever, I would certainly recommend this, uh, tops. Um, but, you know, those are the kind of differences when you look at those places we mentioned on the Internet, like the subreddits and stuff like that. There's so many brands now. you got Rectech and you got Green, Man or Green Mountain Grills. There's, there's so many um, alternatives on the high end. There's Yoder and Pits and Spits. Um, I think that the idea of setting a realistic budget. If you can't uh, afford $500 for it, then I think that the cheaper options are going to get the job done. And anything that breaks will probably break within those first few months with warranty, but it may only last you three or four years. You brought up Charbroil, which is a very popular uh, brand that's all over the place. And that's what I bought when I first moved into my house and it didn't last me a year. And of course it had like a 90 day warranty. Um, and that wasn't for a smoker that was for a grill, but, um, it, it just, it died. And I think too, kind of SOL. It's, it's important to say that like, if you spend $500 or you spend $2,000 on a pellet smoker, you're not going, that's not going to reflect in the quality of, of the end product that you eat. You're going to get bells and whistles that come along with that. And you might get better support and better materials and like less fuel or whatever. But the difference between the food that comes off a $2,000 grill smoker and a $500 smoker is going to be quite small. For sure. That that's a really good point. Like I think that the it's probably like a lot of things out there, right? The difference between $500 and 2000 is very slight, but the difference between a $200 smoker and a 500 is pretty. <laughs> and that kind of leads me full circle back to the knife episode that we just had released with Strata and they were talking about how some of the huge, like the major popular knife companies, you're not necessarily for the same price getting the same quality knife because what you're paying for is you're paying for that service. You're paying for the marketing budget. You're paying for the bells and whistles. Where if you go with more of a smaller company, like you said, no frills with the Gorilla, uh, they probably are more focused on where you have, they probably have less employees. They just have to worry about paying them, making the best grills they can and selling them at a competitive price. So you're probably getting more focus on the grill itself and the materials than you are on the rest of that, the extras. Yeah, not only that, but with the knives too, it was, you know, similar to the grills. It's like, you don't necessarily need to have, you know, all three, you don't necessarily need to have two. You don't need a whole block of knives. You really just need one really good knife and it will do the job for 90% of the things you have to do. Uh, so I think that that, you know, that goes the same with, it goes the same with a lot of different areas of cooking and with smoking and with barbecuing and all that. I think 
you invest in a good quality product, uh, you're going to be a lot happier with everything. And I feel like the experience is just that much better. I mean, that's a really great point. I mean, anything with cooking, you know, you can buy the, the Blendtec blender and you can have the fancy stove and then you can have the sous vide and all of these other things. But at the end of the day, give me one good burner and I'll make much better food. You know what I mean? Than, than all the toys, if it, if it comes down to it, if you have to pick and choose, right? Grant, I think you just listed all the items that you have in your kitchen. <laughs> I was trying to. I'm sure there's some other ones I forgot about. Uh, another thing that I think beginners are going to run into an issue and especially only being subject to like big box stores and this stuff might even be harder to kind of get on the internet due to the nature, uh, wood and fuel. Uh, so like you guys have kind of mentioned earlier, uh, the pellets had started for heating homes and I'm sure there's better brands and companies that make more natural, like hardwood, good pellets now. Uh, and another thing, if you decide to go the stick burner route, instead of buying, you know, a whole cord of wood and having to try it out and really go in that method. Uh, there isn't really a lot of great options for finding good fuel for that everywhere. And if you go to somewhere that's not really, I mean, we live in New England. I don't think smoking and barbecue is really a huge thing up here. So the landscaping, the kind of home places around here don't stock a ton of that stuff. And if you ask them for a cord of wood, you're probably just getting a cord of wood. You might not be able to hickory, cherry, like really pick out the types. So where do you recommend people go and what do you expect, recommend they do for fuel? I think that's an excellent point that we didn't even discuss, which uh, tends toward favoring the pellet smoker because accessibility of the wood that you would use in a stick burner is challenging for a lot of people unless you know where to go if you have a local specialty barbecue shop which is going to be very expensive um, you know you can't just go to a random person buy a quart of pine and burn that for your for your barbecue or use some wet wood that's going to create all sorts of like gross smoke that's that's not the right kind of smoke for for smoking your meat and so there's a lot more uh, consistency and availability of the, the pellets for fuel source. Now, I know that Grant's done a pretty good amount of research on pellets and the controversy. And I think somebody got sued about pellets at some point. I don't know. Grant's got the whole story, though. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm in L.A., right, which I should have everything easily accessible. It's a big city. We got lots of people doing lots of things. I wouldn't know the first place to go to get, you know, some mesquite, dried mesquite for smoking, right? It's a, but a lot of people like in Texas where smoking is hugely popular, getting some dried post oak, which is everywhere there is easy. I mean, if you go buy firewood, you're buying the same wood that you'd put in your smoker. And that changes the game a little bit. The uh, internet and shipping makes getting pellets so easy. You know, my favorite brand of pellets is cooking pellets, and I can get that on Amazon. If I'm running low, I can have it shipped here on Prime, and it's here in two days. 40 pounds is 35 bucks. Um, it's not bad. And, you know, that's actually another thing with the different smokers is how fast they're going through pellets. You know, a thicker gauge will be more insulated. You'll use pellets a lot slower, especially when it gets colder. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know that that's really a deciding factor. Um, but a bag for me will last me quite a while. Like I, I would normally think of it in terms of meat, but I could do like two briskets and three ribs with one bag of, of this stuff. Um, 
it does actually make an argument for the electric smoker being still the most affordable option because you the wood chips are easiest and they last forever and they're cheap. But um, buying the wood, I don't have an answer for you of where I would go get these sticks to burn. You have to look around your local spot because you're not getting them shipped. Now, the last thing that I want to talk to you guys about, because we've done so much talking about the fuel, about the smokers, about all that. We haven't done much talking about the food itself. So what are you guys' favorite foods to do in a smoker? Uh, let's say something that you have a few people coming over, you really want to impress them. What's your number one? I know I can make this and it's going to knock the socks off. It's going to be the best. I think that the easiest way to knock somebody's socks off is if you have a brisket in your pocket, that will change anybody's life. My wife doesn't like eating red meat. She gets weirded out by it. And she asked me regularly to make brisket. It, it, when, you do, when you do a smoked brisket right, it, it, um, yeah, it, it's something that people will remember. And Grant and I, for instance, we both went to Austin together a few years back and we went to La Barbecue, which is sort of a uh, splinter off from some people that were at uh, Franklin's. And it was magical, <laughs> the food that we had there. Next level stuff that we still talk about and want to go back. But I think that the brisket is probably the thing that Grant and I probably would both say is um, the go-to, though it is a more, uh, it requires more experience and it, it's easier to screw that one up. So it, like if you're getting started, I think that maybe starting with some ribs or something, it's, it's a much easier to make a slab of ribs that will be way better than anything anybody's ever had when they come on a smoker. It's, it's actually pretty hard to mess it up. Uh, and then the brisket though is like next level. It just, you, you can mess it up. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Um, this comes back to where Brandon started the conversation about location, right? Like Texas, it's brisket, right? Um, where Brandon's from in Kansas City, they really like burnt ends, right? Um, mm -hmm. Ribs, depending on where you are, it's spare ribs, it's baby backs, you got pulled pork. There's all these things from our, my personal, like personal favorite out of a smoker is going to be short ribs, particularly the plate cut of short ribs. They're, you know, people also call them dino ribs. They taste like the best part of the brisket, but everywhere. <laughs> and so you could say, you know, I love brisket, but there's some parts of the brisket that are a little drier, you know, you cut that well, off. The, yeah, I mean, the, the brontosaurus ribs, they're also immensely challenging to find, but they are, for sure really they are delicious. And that's one of the things that Grant and I did have when we were at La Barbecue. Yeah, but what's cool about the smoking, and th there's a lot of, and I think everyone thinks of pulled pork, brisket, I don't know that everyone thinks of short ribs, but but those two, and ribs, everyone thinks of that. There's so much great stuff on there, and it's not just silly sides like the smoked mac and cheese I alluded to mm -hmm. earlier. I think smoked salmon, and I don't mean the cold smoked locks on a bagel, hot smoked salmon is one of my favorite dishes. It's absolutely great. Smoked duck is really good. Brandon just did a smoked turkey. I know you guys talked about it on your Thanksgiving episode. You can nail that and make it exceptionally good. Um, it adds a different flavor and a new take on a lot of foods that people do in other ways. You don't need a smoker for much but brisket, in my opinion. Um, but uh, it just makes everything so freaking good. Now, what, what, one last thing. Brisket 
there's a thing that comes out of the smoker that has to be in the smoker and that's pastrami. And I've gotten into that during quarantine because I got all the extra time on my hand. I'm not going to any restaurants and that is a fun thing to make. And it is really, really good. And you have to have a smoker to make it. Well, I was going to I... say too, from here in mass, I think for us, the salmon point was nice because we love making uh, smoked bluefish when he gets it fresh. So we'll actually take the fish that they catch fresh off the boat and we'll put it in the mm. smoker and make dips and stuff with it. And it's funny because you think of red meat when you think of smoking and you think of, you know, chicken wings and, and the basic stuff, but it's fish is incredible smoked. I don't think enough people, you know, pay tribute to that. I think from up here, especially where we're getting so much fresh catch, especially in the summertime, uh, it's, it's so good when it's just fresh off the boat, fresh in the smoker and it, you know, it takes hours. And by the time it comes out, it's, it's gone. Well, the other magical thing (laughs) is that it, it doesn't actually, I mean, relative to smoking things, it doesn't take that long. So you can smoke a salmon or a fish on a weeknight and we do that. And you can smoke a chicken on a weeknight, all those things, you know, you're not going to do a 15 hour brisket probably on a Tuesday, but there's, there's some versatility to it. And, um, and I, I do like the point to um, the locality of it and like leaning into the foods that are available in your, your location, because that's really how all this barbecue and the regional stuff Grant mentioned, I'm from Kansas city and Kansas city is like every meat possible because it, it historically was like stockyards. And so they had all of the, the meats available here, but they lean heavily into like sweet, tomato-based sauces, which is just like the local thing. So, you know, whatever you find locally to find a way to smoke that um, is is pretty pretty cool thing. Can you guys see all of my jealousy for your fresh seafood all the way through the Zoom? <laughs> I'm honestly guilty of that. I've lived here my whole life. I've been smoking food for, for probably, what, four or five years at least now. So I've done plenty of smokes. I've never once touched fish. And I don't don't know why I haven't. Um, I make it all the time. I cook it. I'll saute it. I'll do it in the oven. I'll do whatever. But I just haven't put on the smoker. And part of that is just because I have that bias that I think barbecue and I think I want to do those big meats. And I tend to lean towards when I do the meats, uh, the spicier, more vinegar based sauces and rubs and different things. Uh, And that's kind of my perfect thing would be like a st louis rack of ribs with that vinegar based sauce or rub actually yeah and that usually i have to make both because i have to appease people because not everyone likes to take things as spicy as i do i'll jack up the spice because i like that and then i'll make more of a brown sugar a sweeter one so i'll do both it's funny that you mentioned that too because grant is a super spice head and i listened to your whiskey episode where you were drinking like some scorpion pepper whiskey or something Demon <laughs> yeah that's immediately yes. what i thought of when i thought of grant i i can't imagine what that would taste like and i do love spicy but spicy and whiskey i mean i feel like whiskey's already <laughs> spicy but here uh you know, I think that um, there's a lot of options to when it comes to smoking and it's easy to fall back on those ones that we're used to, but there's so many things to experiment with. And like we said, it's, it's kind of like an oven. You can, anything you cook in the oven, put on there. Vegetables are great smoked too. That's something I haven't touched either. Yeah, I stick with the meats really. I, do, I will do the unhealthy sides. I'll do the mac and cheese. I'll do uh, different things like that in there, but yeah, I haven't really done much outside of your traditional, I go to a barbecue restaurant and I get this. And that's one thing that really hurts me is how few great barbecue restaurants we have up here. 
Um, it's really tough. And whenever everyone talks about the local place that just opened up, it's been around forever. They rave about it. Uh, I'm most often very disappointed, but there is yeah. a couple places that I know do it right. And I always make it definitely a special occasion. If I'm not doing, you know, the smoke myself or I don't have access to that, I go to these certain places and I'll go all out and I'll really get that food because I know they do it the right way. You can smell the smoke from a mile away. Uh, and some, one of them, my favorite place where we got the smoked turkey from is actually a Mexican barbecue place. So everything they do is smoked foods, but then they put it into tacos, the fajitas, things like that. Uh, but they have a big old, you know, stick burner smoker in the back that they do everything with. And when you really take the time to do it, you can't beat that perfect wood smoke. Yeah. I mean, Memphis barbecue is one of my favorites too. And, and I've sort of copied some of their style where you don't even have sauce. You know, it's just a dry rub and, and you cook it that way. And that's also delicious. And um, the nice thing about doing it that way is you put the sauces on the side. You have a vinegar sauce and a sweet sauce, and then you got the dry rub that you don't need any sauce. And it's very versatile and people do typically or can easily get sort of used to one thing and stop experimenting. And, and there's no fun in that. I think that's the great thing about barbecue too, is that there's an infinite universe of things to play with as we talk about, you know, there's the whole world of barbecue. Even if you were to just stick with the U S and look at different regions, there's so many things that you can play with that there's always something new to do. And then there's always like one thing better you can do. And that's one thing that I do when I, I'm smoking. That's, that's helped me so much is taking notes. And I know that Grant gives me a hard time about it, but it's kind of my way. Every time I do a smoke, I take notes and I, I jot down everything that I did. And it's what just jealousy, I should, Brandon. What I should do next time. And it helps me refine my process every time because it is the small details that can make all of the difference. We hear that you recently smoked a turkey. So how did that come out? <laughs> yeah. Copious Share with notes. us your smoking yeah. um, expertise, Brandon. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think it's clear that Grant and I are not professional pitmasters here. We're amateurs, but um, I smoked my first turkey ever. This is a podcast and, for the amateurs. So. Okay, all right. <laughs> I smoked my first turkey ever. I used the recommendations primarily from the site that Grant referenced earlier, Amazing Ribs. It's uh, run by this guy named Meathead, and he's got a lot of good recommendations on there. Do you think it that was his God-given name? Like his mom named so. him Meathead? I think so. I feel like that's, he's probably from Texas and <laughs> that's what happens in Texas. <laughs> um, so yeah, it turned out a little bit drier than I was hoping. And the thing is that um, it kind of goes to show you how important instrumentation can be because I was using this crappy uh, $5 uh thing I picked up from Bed Bath & Beyond meat thermometer to measure the temperature of the turkey. And it was registering five degrees lower than my built-in temperature probe. But turkey is like a conveyor of salmonella. So I wanted to make sure that it was safe. And I think that five degrees was a bias off. And so I let it go a little bit higher. And turkey's a little bit sensitive, I think. Um, and you go a little bit too much. Anybody probably had Thanksgiving in the U S knows that there's such a thing as dry Turkey and it's pretty easy to do. And did you brine out, it? I did. I dry brined it. So, um, I didn't want to go through the mess. I I've done Thanksgiving turkeys before with uh, wet brine and it's such a gross mess to deal with that. I, I did the dry brine and, uh, it really dried it out. Like the skin was actually pretty good. I was happy with the skin. It was crispy and everything. 
but the, um, the meat could have been moister. And so my, my approach was basically dry brine overnight. I spatchcocked it. So you cut the backbone out of it and um, spread it out, which helps you cook it quicker and more evenly. And then I put it out on the smoker. I did it for a half hour at the smoke setting on my, my smoker and then cranked it to 325, which is pretty high for a smoker and let it go for two hours at 325. And that ended up being a bit much. When I did uh, turkey a few years ago, I did do the wet brine, even though I always cook Thanksgiving turkey and I always just do a dry brine. But for the smoker, I said, fuck it, I'll put the extra effort in, wet brined it and smoked it low the whole time. And I had the opposite experience where it was delicious. Everyone loved it, but the skin was just like, whatever. But on a turkey, mm -hmm. it's less important than a chicken. And that's where there's a lot of experience that comes in and, you know, um, it's part of the fun of the hobby. It's part of cooking with, uh, you know, even just like in, in your kitchen, you know, you, you start with the recipe and you figure out what you like, what you didn't like, and you do it again. Yeah. But a smoker is not a microwave. So if that's what you're going, you think you're going to like put a brisket in there, hit, you know, 15 hours and come back. You're, you're not going to be happy with the outcome. It's like the opposite of a microwave. <laughs> yeah. That's how you think of it. And before we wrap, because we've been on for, for quite a bit now, how about we have you guys share your favorite thing you actually have smoked so far? Is there one dish that stands out to you in all of your time practicing with the smoker uh, or with the girls that you're using? Probably the best thing that I've ever had. And I don't know if it's the best thing the Grant's ever had. Could be. We shared it. Um, for his birthday, I bought him some of those those brontosaurus bones, the, the short ribs, they're massive, massive ribs. Short, short is not the right word to describe them. Um, and they are so delicious. It's like buttery goodness meat. It, it's not even, doesn't taste like beef. It tastes like, I, I can't even describe it. It's, but um, I highly recommend it. And so, like I said, the first time Grant and I ever had that was at La Barbecue in, in Texas. And I, I think that if you, um, if you have a chance to try that, that it's really good. You know, Brandon, you, you do bring up a great opportunity to say one last thing about this whole smoking meats conversation, which is the quality of the meat that you get makes a huge difference in smoking or in any cooking. Um, the short rib that we ate that I have to say is also my favorite thing that I've ever cooked um, or eaten out of a smoker. The quality of this meat was amazing. Like I took a picture of it before it went on. It looked like Wagyu beef like it was just that marbled it was incredible and um it goes the same for brisket you're going to meet people who got that the cheap brisket at restaurant depot um and paid a dollar 89 a pound and it's like dry yeah well it's a lot different than that prime grade that's marbled all the way through and it tastes like you know it comes it's 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 nice and juicy and you cut it and it's even the flat is moist you know like it's although people hate that word it's still a good brisket um I think that that's a really great last point is that, that the quality of the meat makes a huge difference in smoking, just like in any other cooking. You want the best you can get. Yeah, I would probably argue that it makes more of a difference than the smoker that you buy. So spend 100%. your money. 100%. Yeah, save your money, your money the for the meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that only makes sense. <laughs> so for everybody who's listening, and obviously we're always tuning into your show, uh, Nick's a huge fan, and I've just been starting to get into it. Uh, where can we find you on your website and social media? Uh, well, we've got a website for the uh, podcast, strengthandscotch.com. And then we're on the socials at uh, names that 
are not strength and scotch because they're too long. But if you search for strength and scotch, you, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, or there's links to it on, on, uh, the website. I thought our name on Instagram was strength and scotch. I think you put underscores in it. I don't know. Uh, you, you can't have there. spaces on Instagram. <laughs> strength underscore and underscore scotch. Strength and scotch. We have a little tension about the naming of things. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have links in the description below. So no worries. Just go down there and click on it. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on, taking the time to talk to us. I had a lot of fun. I'm sure Bianca had a lot of fun. Uh, like Bianca said, I've been listening to your podcast for years and I really enjoy it. Keep doing what you're doing. And for anyone that is listening to our podcast that hasn't checked you guys out yet, I definitely encourage you to go listen because you won't regret it. So thanks again. Uh, I hope to talk to you guys again soon and dig into more barbecue talk and more whiskey talk. Back, Nick. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you. And also one last point. If I could do one thing to help upgrade your, your whiskiness here, it would be to spend $8 on Amazon and get a Glen Karen. I know. I've been kicking it. I put it on my Christmas list. All Everyone was asking me, oh, what do you want for Christmas? All the family was like, just get me good Glen Karen whiskey glasses. Yep, there we I go. was holding out and it didn't happen. Brandon, <laughs> you just held up your glass to the Zoom so the listeners couldn't hear. Oh, yeah. But when, when you held it up, I thought you were going to say, drink another one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that too. I certainly Guys, will. It was Really a pleasure. So nice to meet you both and spend time. Um, thank you for the invite. Uh, it was great talking to you. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.